Yo, it's the Southside's own Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Blast. Deep into the night. And a two-run homer for Baez. 13-yard gain here on fourth down. And right now, not looking good. Trubisky's going to run it. So Jeff Bennett chased and dropped the 17-yard line. Roquan, the chef, Smith. Roquan Smith, he's the highlight show of this defense. In the ring, steve has got him up. A slam. Jonathan Hood, weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. No hoodie tonight. Meller and Black filling in on Under the Hood. And we were discussing, before we went to break, Ezekiel Elliott and his current holdout. He has... Given a little clarity to the situation, has yet to report to Dallas Cowboys training camp. And uh, Josina Anderson gave us this news. I asked a source close to the situation within the hour. One, did you hear those Dickerson comments? What are your thoughts and is it true? The source said back to me, yes, it is true. Ezekiel Elliott will not play this season if he does not have a new contract. And matter of fact, added that he told the Cowboys this back in January. So then I asked the source, but is it likely, though? I think that's the more apropos question. And he said, no, I don't think it's likely from the standpoint that Jerry Jones, we believe, wants to get this deal done. And he understands that out of Amari Cooper, Dak Prescott, that there's only one one player who's actually the top at his position, and that is Ezekiel Elliott. So the Dickerson comments she was referring to came from FS1's Undisputed, where Eric Dickerson said that he spoke with Elliott's agent, Rocky Arsenault. According to Eric Dickerson, Arsenault said it was possible Elliott would miss part of the regular season, but that he did not want that to happen. But he said that he would not play without a new contract. So the thing that I find interesting of this whole situation, and if you go to the story on ESPN.com, source, Zeke won't play for Dallas without deal. Uh, If you go down about six paragraphs, you get the, the Cowboys insist they have made solid offers to all three players who would need contracts this uh, upcoming season uh, into the future. That would be Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and Amari Cooper. Uh, But it would put them in at least the top five of contracts in their positions And uh, they've been frustrated at the lack of engagement in negotiations, a source told ESPN's Todd Archer. So the Cowboys are insisting that they have made solid offers to all three players, Dak, Ezekiel, and Amari. And the deals have been good enough to put all three of these players in their respected positions into the top five of players paid in their position in the National Football League. And I ask you, Jeff, as we sit here and look at this, are any one of those three top five players in their position worthy of that? I think absolutely it would be Ezekiel Elliott. Yes. If you look at the other two, Amari Cooper, I think you could argue he is not a top five wide receiver in football. Pretty and, easily. And Dak Prescott certainly is not a top five quarterback in football. I like both players, but they're not top five. 
So then you go to the part of the story where you have to figure out if you're the Cowboys building towards a future, is it more important to make your quarterback and a star wide receiver happy or your running back and the others happy? And, and I think that's where we get to the rub of all this in the National Football League in this day and age is that we just saw it with the Rams, Todd Gurley. They paid him. They regret it immediately. And I, and I think if you ask them again, they wouldn't have done that. Now you look at Zeke, the next guy up, and he's trying to flex his muscles. He's trying to he's trying to get more paper than maybe he deserves at this moment because the running back position is downgraded to an extent because people know you can find running backs anywhere. No doubt, but here is where I'm fascinated by this particular situation because I agree with you. Ezekiel Elliott, look, he's if you want to based off a of one year say Barkley's the best. And, you know, but Elliott is, there's no question he's a top five running back in this league and probably a top three. I, you disagree? Uh, no, I would go higher. That's I what I'm think, saying. I, I think you could argue that you what argue he brings the best, to the table. The best running back in football right blocking, now. Blocking, uh, his ability to be on the field because of his durability. Had over uh, 70 catches. He's a workhorse back. He is exactly what you want in a running back. So I completely understand his position, where he's at right now under his rookie deal, where he's still under contract for two more years at, I think what everybody would agree, is a vastly underrated salary for what he brings to the table. He knows, his agent knows, they're acutely aware, that the running back position doesn't get paid anymore. And when I say, you know, doesn't get paid, obviously in when you compare it to everyone else across football. The running back position is used and abused, and then you move on to the next best thing. And so while you're under the rookie contract as a great runner, you're in this position, do I force my hand and threaten to hold out until you pay me what I think I'm worth, or do I just go back to camp with my tail between my legs and be used and abused, and then when I'm finally free, either be franchised like Le'Veon Bell was and then put in another position where I'm disgruntled or worse, see my skills decline because of the wear and tear and then not get the contract offers, not be franchise tagged because I'm not as good as I was when I was younger. Look, the it's the NFL's CBA, but while they have collectively bargained for the entire union, the running backs are not being treated the same way as the other players because of the wear and tear. So I'm fascinated, and I completely understand if you're Ezekiel, if you're Melvin Gordon. You can't wait until you become a free agent to get what, you're, what you deserve because you're not going to be paid when you finally do get, get free of your rookie contract. So I'm fascinated, and the one thing I love about this situation is Elliot forcing the Cowboys' hand and saying, you know, you know what? That's great for Dak and Amari Cooper. You want to keep us all together. The reality is I can't worry about Dak's bank account. I can't worry about Amari Cooper's bank account. They in all likelihood will be paid when they're free agents because they don't play mm-hmm. the, the one position in this sport that is just discarded so easily. And, and don't forget, they'll probably get multiple paydays too, not yes. just the one, which most oh, running backs get, and will. that's it. Dak certainly um, will. The other thing that I think is so fascinating about this Cowboys situation is that it is so blatantly obvious to many football observers 
that one makes the other better. Yes. Like, it is so clear and obvious that Ezekiel Elliott makes Dak Prescott better. Dak Prescott would not be the quarterback he is if Zeke didn't exist. But if Zeke uses its power play and doesn't show up to parts of the regular season or the season at all, that will really affect Dak Prescott. Now, Dak expecting to make that <laughs> yes. big contract that's probably going to be the highest contract in NFL history because each quarterback that gets a new new payday gets the biggest contract in NFL history. That's just how it works. But if Dak really struggles because Ezekiel isn't there this year, it will then decrease and devalue a little bit, even though he will get his money, what Dak Prescott's earning potential is. And, and I think if you're looking at the Cowboys overall to try and win this year, you yeah. need both on the field. Dak will be a better quarterback with Zeke there, and Zeke is the cog that makes that offense kind of tick. But really, he's the least important one when you're looking at paying someone for the future. And this is exactly why if you're Elliot and Elliot's camp, you strike while the iron is hot. You look at the Cowboys and the potential for a Super Bowl window over the next year or two. Yeah, do you want to tell them, hey, hey, you remember, hey, Jerry Jones, you remember in 1993 when uh, that running back you had, uh, he was pretty good. He held out for the first two games. You guys went 0-2, and, and you finally caved and paved him, paid him, and then he went on to uh, lead you to a Super Bowl that year. Oh, yeah, his name was Emmett Smith, the league's all-time leading rusher. Um, yeah, that's the situation you've got right now. Remember it, and I know it's a different league. It's a passing game, but the way the Cowboys run their offense, they're not a dynamic passing offense like the rest of the NFL. They are, as you pointed out, reliant upon Ezekiel Elliott. And so that's why I cannot wait to see the way this unfolds. Let's bring in Kevin Cole of Pro Football Focus. Talk some football with him and let him weigh in on this current situation as well. Hey, Kevin, curious, uh, what are what is your thought on how this goes down? If you're the Cowboys, do you draw a line in the sand and just say, no, I can't pay Ezekiel Elliott because you're a running back? Or do you say, hey, look, this is a Super Bowl window and uh, we need our bell cow back to be happy if we're going to win this thing. Yeah, I mean, I think the decision is very different based upon whether I'm thinking what will the Cowboys do versus what I would do uh, or what we think should be done based upon our research of value and, and contract. I think the running back position, I mean, we've seen it devalued. It's not just, you know, analytics telling us that the running back has been devalued. I mean, teams have devalued and how they're, how they're paying them. But they also, you know, spent a lot of draft capital on him initially. He's a big part of what they do. I think this maybe is a lot of talk right now. So we'll see. It's going to be critical and back on the field from their perspective. And I think that's probably what they're going to do. Going forward for the Dallas Cowboys, uh, if Ezekiel Elliott is not around and Dak Prescott is by himself in the backfield, I know they'll have a different running back, but not maybe someone of the caliber of Ezekiel Elliott. How do you see the value for Dak Prescott going forward for the Cowboys? What do you think that is for them? Well, we don't see it going down as much as some people suspect. Obviously, there is an effect on the defense, at least psychologically, having uh, having Zeke in the backfield and how they end up playing it. But we don't think that it's as big as others as others think that it may be as re- upon research that we've done there. And I know a lot of the splits that people have looked at with Zeke on or off the field and how Dak's performance has suffered, a lot of that also could be uh, a conflation of the fact that Tyron Smith and others had missed had missed time at the same time. So I think the running component of what Zeke does, there there probably be a slight drop off when they're bringing someone else in there. What he does in the passing game may be a bigger factor. So the question would be whether or not one of the Dallas uh, Cowboys running backs can step in and fill that role. We're talking with Kevin Cole of Pro Football Focus here on ESPN 1000. Meller and Black filling in for hoodie tonight. Kevin, it's a uh... 
I find it interesting because uh, you are so data-driven, and obviously it makes sense that you would look at a running back and say, hey, look, the, you know, as the carries increase and the produ- production eventually decreases, you don't want to you know, tie up a huge sum of your salary cap in a guy who is in his declining years. But I just from the other perspective, Kevin, if you're advising a running back like an Ezekiel Elliott and maybe to a lesser degree somebody like Melvin Gordon – isn't this all they can do is hold out and threaten in the media publicly and say, look, I know nobody wants to pay me when I hit free agency in two years from now. Or if you're Elliot, maybe four years from now, if a guy, if a team's going to franchise you for multiple seasons, wouldn't your advice be to do exactly what he's doing in this situation? Yeah, I mean, I think so. There becomes a point and, you know, a lot of people are talking talking about accrued seasons, things like that, that can become an issue for Zeke if he decides to hold out in multiple years. But, yeah, this is, this is definitely what you're going to do. The thing is, teams have the rights to someone like an Ezekiel Elliott or a Melvin Gordon, not only the four years of their rookie contract, they have a fifth-year option. And then after that, we've seen that you can franchise the player not only once, but like Le'Veon Bell was franchised twice. And that franchise tag amount for running backs is based upon the top five average uh, for the salaries at the position. And that top five average has been going down over time. So the franchise tag is also something that is probably going to go down in the next few years. So when you look at the ultimate control that a team has over a player, if he sits back and wait, I think um, it's too is fit to say, you know, I'm going to sit out, I'm going to try to apply the leverage I have, and that's the leverage of my absence, because that's basically all they have at this point, and say, can I get a little bit more financial security uh, that goes beyond playing on essentially what could be a fifth-year option, a multiple franchise tag, tags. It's basically playing on rolling one-year contracts. And in the NFL, with the punishment they take, you just don't want to do that. If you're taking a look at building a roster, where would the running back position fall in the hierarchy of trying to build and secure your roster to uh, win and succeed in the NFL? I mean, we don't have it very high, honestly. And it's not that running the ball by itself isn't important. It's that... The passing game we found contributes quite a bit to the success the teams have running the ball. The offensive line and how well the run blocking has contributes uh, a lot to what's going on. And it's just the basic fact that, you know, running the ball on average gets you four, four and a half yards per attempt, whereas passing the ball, even uh, sack yards, gets you around six and a half yards per attempt. So it's really just simply that passing the ball has been, has been much more efficient. So I think building you know obviously the quarterback first but we found that even the wide receiver position is 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 far more important than than what the running back does and if you could even get if you could get an elite tight end that would probably fall into place too so we have it pretty far down the hierarchy just because of the supply and demand mismatch of capable at least running backs that you could fill in there while they're not going you know this is not totally replaceable position but the fact that you can get it. You can get someone to get close enough. It makes such a it makes such a huge difference as far as what their value and driving that value down for a running back. Jeff Meller alongside Chris Black here on Under the Hood this evening on ESPN One Thousand. We're talking with Ke- uh, we're talking. I think we just may have lost Kevin there for a second, so we'll see if we can reestablish lines there with Kevin Cole of Pro Football Focus. And look, as he was saying there, Chris, the running back position. It's just there. In some ways, look, it's funny because. They're the most highly valuable skill position in fantasy football, which a lot of our listeners out there are playing. And so you say, okay, all these players who we know who are the crux of our fantasy football teams sure. are the most interchangeable and in some ways least valuable player 
and the actual football well, play football field these days. Well, so it's not that they're not valuable. The 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 a good running back is valuable. I, I think what hurts the running back position is that you can find yes. a running back almost level. anywhere, and, and that's where it, it's it's a valued position for a good football team. But the crop in the pool of how many that are available, mm-hmm. it just is never ending. You like <laughs> you see teams each and every year, and, and go back to fantasy. Who was one of the best? fantasy players last year at the running back position for the Denver Broncos. Philip Lindsay. Philip Lindsay. Did anyone think that he was going to be a top flight running back at this time last season? Of course not. No. And so, and so by default, because there are so many that can run the rock, it, it de- devalues the position, even though the position in a actual football game is still valued to some extent. And we have Kevin Cole of Pro Football Focus back now. You can follow him on Twitter. He's at Kevin Cole, PFF. Kevin, you were talking about how critical the passing game is now these days. Curious as to your thoughts on what you've seen from Mitchell Trubisky after one year under Matt Nagy, who I think everybody around the league is very enthusiastic about as a play caller, and what you think the future may hold for Mitchell Trubisky here in Chicago. Well, you know, I'm going to default to what we have and what we've had in our grades. Now, I think people who follow from the Bears fans who follow PFF probably know that we graded Trubisky fairly harshly based on the fact of what we saw on the field, whereas his actual production, and if you look at some other statistics that are out there from places like ESPN has its QBR rating, he, he, was, he was very high in there. But the reason he was very high in that statistic is uh, a lot of high leverage plays. So some of the very most important plays he did well on. And But what we have found is while that's very important, as far as the results are concerned, it's not as predictive moving forward as the overall sample of, of, of what a quarterback is doing. And we saw some, some struggles from Trubisky and, and, and those other situations. And he also was very valuable with his legs. Now, that's something, picking up third downs, um, running the ball. He had a couple of you know, tremendously tremendous long runs that then people saw last year in different games. And he was, he was very adept at adding value there. That's another thing where those can be kind of chunk plays, and we don't necessarily think that they are as predictive going forward. So this is probably going to be somewhat of a make-or-break season for him. I think we saw him struggle in his first year. We saw him improve, maybe not as much as we would have liked to have seen when we're looking at a play-by-play basis. I think statistically he improved more than you would, more than you would hope for. It was really great. So it's really going to be seeing in this third season if everything can come back together with another year uh, underneath, the, uh, underneath the, the new coaches. When you're looking at Trubisky and you're looking at the grades and everything that uh, you take from the projections from last season, is there someone that he reminds you of when you watch Mitch Trubisky? Yeah, you know, that one I'm, I'm not quite sure about. I mean, I think what we've seen for a lot of quarterbacks recently is difficulty in the first year, and that's typical. Um, and then a step up in the next year. I mean, people are probably going like, to not like to hear this, but someone who is most similar as far as putting up some good statistics but not so, so great grades in his second year was Blake Bortles. Um, I think we saw better grading from some of the more other, other more recent quarterbacks. So what, what, what you really want to see, though, is that this third year is where if that progression happens. Um, and I think that's, that's definitely what we did not see with someone like Bortles. So we want to see the, you know, the grades and the stats kind of align themselves in this third year. And it, it's, it's, you know, there's plenty of time for, for something like that to happen. And there are lots of quarterbacks that we've seen in the past two who didn't really take that step into 
until their third year, like maybe a Matthew Stafford in the past. So we'll, we'll see what ends up happening in the third season. Kevin, you've done a lot of work on contracts, team salary caps, and we've been talking a little bit about the positions and how much you want to actually allocate to which positions here and there. Is there anything you've seen from teams where they've gotten creative with the quarterbacks that you find interesting going forward that other teams can maybe replicate? Are we just in this endless cycle where the next decent quarterback who becomes a free agent gets gets the big deal that makes him the highest paid quarterback? Because obviously uh, we're watching Jared Goff in Los Angeles, what's going to happen with him. And then obviously if Trubisky can up his play at all, he seems to be like he would be one of the next ones in line a few years from now. So is there anything teams can do if they're kind of stuck in the middle with their quarterbacks where they're good but not great? I don't really think there is a good solution there because we're talking about a reset. You're talking about going back into the draft, probably in a situation where you're not drafting near the top. So if you're drafting in the middle or at the end, it's very difficult to find a quarterback in that situation. I mean, one potential path is I think what we've seen the Ravens do, and that is, you know, they took – uh, Lamar Jackson with the last pick of the first round. So it wasn't like it was a it was a very high pick. And what they've done with Jackson is they got someone who has a lot of rushing value, and they did some non-traditional things by allowing him to run as much as he did. And that's probably an area, if there is any area where the quarterback is is undervalued, is that sort of area. It's, it's, it's what they can do generating uh, value with their legs. So that is an area that a, a team can turn to if they don't have one of the top, top picks and define one of those great quarterbacks who can become a great pocket passer uh the other thing is try to minimize some of the damage for the contract and that would be extending as early as possible what i've found um in this in this research that i've done is that you know extensions are obviously a lot better than going to the free agency market the free agency market doesn't really exist for quarterbacks but the earlier you can extend them uh normally you can end up getting a better deal i think what we saw the Eagles do with Carson Wentz, you know, if they waited another year, they probably have to pay quite a bit more for him. So even if you have some question marks there, at a certain point, you're tied to someone. So the decision is, how can we how can we minimize that cost going forward? And I think that's actually extending earlier for a guy who may have some questions about him. Kevin Cole of Pro Football Focus, thanks so much for joining us this evening. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. You can follow him, folks, on Twitter. He's at Kevin Cole PFF. You know what's interesting about what Kevin just said there is uh, David Kaplan from 9 to Noon right here on ESPN 1000 has said that he's heard that people at Hallis Hall would hope to extend Trubisky before they got to that point in a couple of seasons. Thus would be a good idea because if you extend him now, even if he doesn't turn out to be a great quarterback, mm-hmm. you would keep the price low overall because the longer you wait, these contracts or quarterbacks Certainly. are just going to keep going up, 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 and up. And allow you the opportunity if you could get a, if you could bridge the gap, find a nice middle ground between you and him. Yeah, right. Bet on maybe you get a little bit of a discount going forward and thus allowing you the opportunity to invest in the rest of the roster as well with all the extra savings. And the real home run would be if he then turned into an elite quarterback and then he was on that extended deal that happened early well what's it going to take to become that elite quarterback you know what we had a hall of famer on the station a hall of fame quarterback who uh shared his thoughts you'll hear it next right here on espn 1000 under the hood with jonathan hood weeknights on espn 1000 and the espn app it is ugly over at wrigley field 
Meller and Black in for Jonathan Hood this evening. Let's send it over to Jesse Rogers for the latest. Yeah, this is ugly. John Lester finally out of this game. Four innings, 11 runs, 10 earned for Lester on 10 hits and three walks. He did strike out six, but just an awful, awful night for John Lester, who gave up the second most earned runs in his career. He only gave up more once in 2012. The A's just killed him. Piscotty with a three-run home run. The last inning, they put up eight in the second as he just got batted around and then, of course, missed the strikes on a bunch of walks in that inning as well. So 11 runs on 11 hits for the A's. The Cubs, three hits, no runs so far. Dwayne Underwood making his Cubs season debut here. He'll probably pitch as long as he can, and then I would imagine we'll see a position player or two in this game as the Cubs' bullpen is depleted. 11 nothing in the fifth. Back to you guys. You're listening to my man's and them, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a brutal night out there tonight. All right, so I don't. What, what's worse? Uh, what's taking place uh, at Wrigley on the north side, or the salad I was just eating uh, during the break, and I found a long hair in mm. the salad. Long hair in the salad, or uh, John Lester wearing it today at Wrigley? Uh, what is worse? Uh, three, f- one, two, three, three. We, we, <laughs> I feel like you we can don't have to get take over. on that, but uh, yeah, the, hair uh, in the salad—that's pretty bad. It's yeah, it's, it, that'll ruin your evening. Well, or it'll, only, it'll, it'll ruin only your got, dinner. Only two bites in. You know what? That's probably a good thing. You, you don't want to get. To be honest, I would have liked to at least gotten like half of it, but. Eh, but you hair, can't can't get the thing. Wait, go wait, backwards wait. in time. The hair is still in your salad. So if you get what if you get three quarters of the way through the salad and then realize now that you've been eating a salad with uh, some unsanitary hair in there the entire time. So last time I go to that bakery on that corner, I'll tell you that much. Well, they you will be missed, no doubt. <clears throat> I, I don't think I will. <laughs> well. I don't know what to tell you, Chris. <laughs> I, I, they're going to have to try and soldier on, and I don't know. I think they'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, Black Meller in for hoodie this evening, and uh, we mentioned we had a Hall of Fame quarterback on the station today, and uh, Kurt Warner. He discussed Mitchell Trubisky's growth, and Carmen and Yurko had him on, and Carmen asked him specifically, you know, what can Mitch do to become become great? Is it just something as simple as getting the repetition, understanding Matt Nagy's offense, and then realizing as he's, as he's heading to the line, those pre-snap reads and knowing where he wants to go with the ball? Is it just something that simple that will help? Well, I mean, you know, it, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, part of it, as you said, it is the recognizing, um, you know, before the snap, the pre-snap reads to give you a great sense. Can you start to learn nuances of defenses and, you know, positioning of guys and how that plays into what a defense can and can't do. So I think some of it is taught. And I think I always think a lot of the quarterback position is innate, the ability to recognize certain things. And to me, even more so than recognizing uh, like pre-snap, it's being able to react in the moment. You know, can you see that or on the snap when a defense changes what they do how quickly can you recognize that and what kind of sense of your offense do you have where you always know what the answer is no matter what a team throws at you and that to me is what makes great quarterbacks is that you know i was talking to somebody yesterday and there's a lot of guys that can go in a room 
and you ask them to draw up a play, and they can draw up the play and can tell you all the nuances of the play. Or, you know, you can sit in that room and go, okay, against this defense, what would you do? And when they have 20 to 30 seconds, they can lay it all out and they sound like geniuses. But there's a select few guys that can do all of that and make the right decision and put the football where it needs to be put in four seconds. And that, to me, is the difference between the great quarterbacks and the good quarterbacks or the guys that just survive in this league is what do you do in that four seconds? How well can you see, recognize, diagnose, and then do the right thing with the football? Uh, that is what, you know, that is what changes everything you know, at that position. So, uh, to me, it's, uh, you know, can Mitch, can these young quarterbacks become those kind of guys? Um, and it's really hard to say because I think it's really tough to learn that. Part of that has to just be innate, and, and you have to have the ability to process things and make good decisions. I'm not going to lie. When I hear that breakdown from a man who is in Canton, has his bust as a quarterback, talk about how some of it is just innate. It's To me, that's almost a nice way of saying he's not sold that Mitch can take that step to the next level to become a great quarterback. I thought it was a very measured response from Kurt Warner, and I agree with you, Jeff. I I think uh, he sees something in breaking down film that, to him, Trubisky doesn't jump off the page as a straight quarterback. He jumps off the page as an athlete who's playing quarterback. And I think that's where this development and this whole conversation about Mitch Trubisky kind of hit home, hits home for me because when I'm watching a football game, the thing that stands out to me on the elite quarterbacks is when things break down and things are bad, instead of trying to get out of there and running for your life, those great quarterbacks assess the field, they get out of uh, harm's way, and as they're getting out of harm's way, eyes are down the field mm-hmm. looking through their progressions, and they're able to hurt the defense for overreaching on their end, yep. trying to get after the quarterback, that they can find someone who's running downfield 40 yards for an open throw, or, or someone that you can dump it off for, or just who how about then, this? Who could then run, off, run after the catch for a big gainer because the defense has been spread all throughout the field. Sure, or even if you're not gaining yardage, you dump it out of bounds to live for another day. Mm-hmm. You're not just trying to be a hero on each and every play running with the football. And we know that quarterbacks that run more will get hurt more often, too. So I think when you hear Kurt Warner talk about that, he is pointing out something with Mitch Trubisky that he clearly sees that he's not sold on. Yeah, and look, I mean, it is, it's a tightrope that sometimes a, an ex-player has to walk where he doesn't want to necessarily denigrate a player so he will say it without saying it directly. And I think, you know, if you really listen to it, you can read between the lines there and say he is not sold that Trubisky can become a great quarterback. It's not. It doesn't just happen with all this hard work, study. There's a certain part of it that is innate. And unfortunately, what we've witnessed, there's some robotic elements to Mitch that make you wanting and desiring a little bit more from the quarterback. Are we sure that Mitch Trubisky this year will be better than Lamar Jackson? I, I don't think you could say for sure. You, Are we you, sure that Trubisky will be better than Marcus Mariota? Boy. Again, it's for sure, no. No. See, and that's the situation I, I would, uh, as Bears fans. I would fans, pretty high percentage he's better than I Mariota. would hope so. I would I, hope I, I, Same I mean, with yeah, Lamar because Jackson, it's, because too. It's, no, no. They're, exactly. They're both yeah. low bars. But I, it's almost based on I'm leaving the window a little bit open for 
Mariota and Lamar Jackson to actually be better passers because they've had some moments. I I don't think that would be the case, but... But it's not because of Mitch. That's what I'm trying to say. Is that that I'm only reluctant because I'm. I think the ceiling for both those players is a little is it's higher. I, with Mitch, everybody wants it to be so badly that I think people are fooling themselves and not seeing what we've what we've already seen for two seasons. Or even if you just want to look at last year, for all the great positions that Matt Nagy put Mitchell Trubisky in. There were plenty of moments that were there to be taken that were not taken and were left on the field. Regarding Trubisky, though, guys, don't you think we were sold or the NFL was sold a different bag of goods? I mean, they did move up to get this guy at the second pick. So everything surrounding him says he's that guy. We found our man. We found our quarterback. And we expect him to become this great passing quarterback, even though he has physical skills and tools like a Lamar Jackson or Mariota, do we really expect... I guess Mariota had the same because he was connected to Jameis Winston. Lamar Jackson, on the other hand, he was taken at the back of the uh, first round. So I think the expectations for Jackson and maybe Trubisky are a little bit different, but the quarterback position is the quarterback position. Well, okay, and that's Sean Davis producing the show tonight here on ESPN 1000. Chris Black and Jeff Meller singing for Jonathan Hood. Here's the thing, Sean, that I keep going back to, and I know it goes back to draft night. I understand where the Bears selected Mitch Trubisky, but also think back to what was the excuse built in for Trubisky coming to the Chicago Bears? Lack of experience. He he only started 13 games at North Carolina. Okay, you can have that number, but here's the thing. When he started those 13 games, he was a junior. And in this day and age of college football, quarterbacks transfer when they're good enough to go start somewhere else. That's just how it is. It's almost like each college football offseason, there's free agency for quarterbacks. You bounce around. We're going to see Jalen Hurts with Oklahoma. We're going to see Justin Fields with Ohio State. You're going to see guys all over the place changing teams because they want to play. Something has always been in the back of my head saying, why was Mitch Trubisky as a sophomore yeah. not playing? Why wasn't he playing at a school that's not a quarterback-rich school in the ACC, North Carolina? Why was a kid from Ohio not recruited by Ohio State? So, like, there are things about Mitch Trubisky, incredible athlete. I think he is a fantastic athlete, but I think there's clearly something, if you look at it, there's a reason he only started 13 games in North Carolina. And, yes, he, he went pro after junior season, but he didn't play as a freshman. He didn't play as a sophomore, really. I mean, he, you know, and, like, that's what is interesting to me is you look at all these other quarterbacks. We mentioned Mariota. We have a track record of what he did in, in college to let, leave us believe that he can develop into a better quarterback. Same with Lamar Jackson. Same with Baker Mayfield. Same with Sam Darnold. All of these quarterbacks – We have seen something in college football, and even to an extent, Patrick Mahomes, even though we weren't as high on him coming into the draft, if you go back and look at what he did in the Big 12 at Texas Tech, you say, all right, I understand where this came from. Where are those highlights in college of Trubisky? He he had one fantastic Sun Bowl with Ryan Pace sitting up in the bleachers with a hat pulled over his eyes, so no one knew who he was. And, and yes, that Sun Bowl was against Stanford, and they had a really good defense. But still, well, it, there, there's a lot to this, to, to why people are concerned. It's not just blind, I don't think he's going to be good, or or I just love Mitch Trubisky. There's a lot that builds into this conversation. And look, 
I was going to mention it. You mentioned his name, Baker Mayfield. As Kurt Warner talked about, innate. Look. That dude wins, man. And when you watch him on the field, when the play breaks down, and that, as Kurt Warner talked about so eloquently there in that soundbite, in those four seconds, Baker Mayfield processes, understands the field. Because, look, what it ju- again, you can only study so much stuff. Every play, even though you expect certain things to happen, every play on its own is different. And you have to dissect what is happening, and it needs to be innate. You need to understand where the rushes are coming from, which receivers are likely to be open based on the formation you just saw. And a guy like Baker Mayfield shows you in his rookie year that it is, in some cases, innate. And I haven't seen that from Mitchell yet. And going backwards into college, there is a player that was drafted in the last year who it's like, you know, there's a reason he didn't show us anything in college, and maybe it's not going to work out. Josh Rosen. You know, he's already on his second team, and it doesn't sound like he's going to be the starter for the Dolphins to start the season anyway. You know, you go back to UCLA, there were a lot of questions on whether he could actually lead and win uh, mm-hmm. as a as a number one quarterback. Great arm, great talent. I'm sure a heck of a kid, but something's missing with Josh Rosen, too. 312-332-3776 if you'd like to weigh in. Eric in Naperville wants to chat about Trubisky. What's up, Eric? Hey, guys, you do an awesome job. Uh, I, I want to comment and follow up on a statement you just made about Nagy uh, putting Trubisky in good spots. And eventually that's going to have to turn where he can't protect him anymore and Trubisky's going to have to play the quarterback position. And these defenses, everyone's so analytical now and they watch so much film that, that they'll catch up to him very quick this year uh, if, if he doesn't start to perform, uh, you know, the quarterback at a, at, at, a, at a higher clip. So thanks, guys. Good job. Our pleasure. Thanks, Thank you, Eric. Thanks, Eric, for calling. Uh, that's a great point. Like, the, the tape now is out there for defenses to dissect what Nagy did last year, and he's not going to be able to catch a lot of these defenses by surprise like he was last year. Do you remember what it was? It was either a Pro Football Focus or Football Outsiders. Someone last season broke down lucky quarterback plays. And they had Trubisky as rated as one of the luckiest quarterbacks last season in the National Football League, meaning that he had more dropped interceptions Mm -hmm. and tip balls that weren't intercepted than almost any other quarterback in football. And to the last call, Eric's point, the last caller, you know, I I wonder if Bears fans understand to this point that Trubisky's been a bit lucky. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. like I understand it's they look at question. the touchdown, the interception ratio, and they'll they'll point out quarterback rating, and they'll say all this great stuff about Trubisky. But I wonder if they understand that he's been lucky, and at some point that's going to run out, and it goes to Eric's point, goes to your point, that defenses are going to figure this out. And when that happens, can he overcome that and actually be a more efficient quarterback? And when the luck runs out, and if Mitchell Trubisky does not improve significantly... Is what he is good enough, despite all that, with the defense as good as it is, to maybe still win this team a Super Bowl? I think that's that's the question I find myself asking more than any other these days. Is not the will Trubisky be a late elite? Because if he's if you don't believe that if you don't believe he is, that's not going to end well for you. I'm not asking myself that question <laughs> yeah. these days. Yeah, well, the yeah. question I find myself asking is: I get is, asked it like six times a day. Is, is Trubisky's yeah. best, whatever that's going to be, is that good enough paired with this defense? 
Is that good enough to lead this te- team to a Super Bowl? I'll give you my answer uh, when we come back. Let's do that. He's Chris Black. I'm Jeff Meller filling in for Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood right here on ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. I think what, what the league does and what defenses do in general is they eventually do catch up to specific offenses and schemes that you do the second time you see something, um, you know, they can adjust to it. But then that's our job. We control, we control every play. So as long as we're, well, I always talked about they're chasing the cat's tail. So we'll have some new wrinkles this year. We'll have some different things, and then they're going to have to adjust to that. The retort to my question of will defenses be more prepared for Matt Nagy's offense in the second season? Certainly he says, but they're ready for the whatever they throw at them. They're going to have some new wrinkles for the defenses. So Matt Nagy's ready. He's got uh, his, his game visor on. Chris. Yes, yes, the visor is right. ready to go. Locked so I, and loaded, yes. Before we broke, I asked, is whatever Trubisky's best is, can that be good enough to help this Bears team with this defense win a Super Bowl? Yeah, and even if the best is not very good is what we were kind of talking about. Uh, the answer, Jeff, is yes. Uh, this defense is that good, and I think the pieces around Mitch Trubisky are good enough to carry a quarterback who may not live up to the uh, super hype of being an elite quarterback. If Trubisky is just average, this team can certainly win the Super Bowl. Now, a lot of things have to go their way. Uh, obviously, health for any NFL team. That's that's always the, the worst option when someone points out health when they say, oh, can a team win the Super Bowl? You know, but it's specific health. If Trubisky is not in games, they're going to be in trouble. They need to keep the quarterback healthy. And as long as Khalil Mack is healthy, especially for a playoff run, you certainly have an opportunity to make a Super Bowl run because you have enough players who are game changers on the defensive side of the ball that can wreck a game. Mm -hmm. And we know that teams that get into the playoffs, it's about smart, efficient football and game wreckers, game breakers, right? And those guys showing up and showing out in those big spots that that's just as important as the smart football that we've seen the Patriots play from year in and year out as Brady and Belichick continue to dominate when when crunch time situations take place. And I tend to agree with you as well with that assessment because whatever his best is, maybe he doesn't even get to that quote best. Maybe he's uneven and there's times where he's not even at his best. But like you just said, I think this defense, which... When you look at the talents across the field, the, what they have out there, I think it is the best in the league right now. And certainly they will. Look, they took the NFC representatives for last year's Super Bowl before they got to the Super Bowl in the Los Angeles Rams and thumped them pretty handily at Soldier Field. And so if they can be effective in the regular season and find themselves in a position where they can be hosting a game or maybe even two playoff games, I certainly think that is not unrealistic. Forget the all the Trubisky talk that we've been having nonstop. I, this defense is one of the few in the league that might be good enough to sustain an average quarterback play and win a Super Bowl. If the Bears get better special teams, which they're still figuring out the kicker situation, but Patterson as a mm-hmm. returner, uh, that would help as well because last year on Football Outsiders and DBOA, the Bears were 26th in special teams. Mm-hmm. So if they can improve a little on special teams, they should be good enough to make a Super Bowl run. And to be to Patrick Finley's point from earlier on the 7 o'clock hour, 
He doesn't have to necessarily be a quarterback. Just be a point guard. Kind of like getting the ball around, moving it around to your skill players and let them go make plays. Yeah, don't mess it up. He's Chris Black. I'm Jeff Meller filling in for Jonathan Hood this evening here on Under the Hood. We're 30 days away from the NFL opener when the Bears host the Packers at Soldier Field. Let's check in up north with Jason Wilde, who covers the Packers for ESPN Milwaukee. We'll do that next right here on ESPN 1000.